Welcome to the teaching ministry of Elevation Church. Today we will hear from lead pastor Dave Carroll as he teaches the next message in our series, Victory. Let's join in now. Now as we get into the subject of anger, uh, I know I have you turn. I know there, there are people who listen to messages that go, oh, I hate when the pastor tells me to turn and tell somebody something. But, but we're going to do it. Turn to the person next to you and say, I know you get angry too. Just turn to them. <laughs> and, and some of you, some of you may say, Dave, I, I don't get angry. Not me. I, I'm a really soft-spoken person. Ah, that's not me. I don't struggle with anger. You say, Dave, I'm a pacifist. Well, we know what pacifist really means. It means that I want a pacifist right through your face. <laughs> right? Some of you have, have to have so much help with your anger that the only way you avoid it is to say, Prison orange is not my color. Prison orange is not my color. Prison orange is not my color, right? And others of you, you don't worry about it at all. You just turn green, yell your name, and smash, right? Like the Hulk. But can we all agree today that everyone, everyone struggles with anger? You know, there are different ways to deal with anger. Some of us blow up. Some of us pack it in and we get real angry and silent. But here's the deal with anger. Anger is always something that boils underneath the surface. And when we don't deal with it, when it comes up in a biblical way, when we don't approach it and own it and repent of it, it begins to control us. And can I tell you today in this series, Victory, many of us are not claiming the victory of Christ crucified, Christ risen, in our life, we're not seeing God do the work in our life, probably because of this very word, anger. You know, you know one of the things uh, why I believe our culture is so angry? It's because we live in the information age. You know, I was a lot less angry when I didn't know a lot about anything. <laughs> uh, when I almost knew nothing, right? I wasn't very angry about it. But today, we know what's happening in our neighbor's house. We know what's happening in our friend's house. We know what's happening with our children's friends. Um, we know what's happening with our teachers, instant information. We know what's happening across the world. Uh, we know what's happening in the government. We know when, it, you know, right when it happens, it comes out, we know about it. And we have more opportunities to get angry. I know none of you ever get angry about politics, do you? No, not, not anyone in this room. We have more opportunities to get angry than any other time in the history of the world. But yet the resurrection of Christ, Romans 8, 37, the scripture we studied on Easter says this, that in all these things, we are more than conquerors. In all these things, even the areas that we need, we, we deal with anger. And so I want to give you a quick definition of anger, and you want to write this down if you get a shot. Um, if you write it down, God can use it. And you know what? Even better, I heard something about writing down what, what God impresses on your heart during a sermon. Um, you can share it with someone this week at work. You can You can give it to someone and say, hey, uh, you're dealing with that? Well, I have some things that may help you. And so here is a definition of anger. It is simply uncontrolled passion about uncontrollable circumstances. Uncontrolled passion about uncontrollable circumstances. Are, Are you catching that a key ingredient of anger here is the word control? It's control, and it's not whether or not you're under control. It's whether you're controlled by the Holy Spirit 
or whether you are trying to control yourself. You see, the believer is supposed to surrender their life, surrender the rights, surrender the reins to the Holy Spirit of God. And when that happens, we have a different response in life when things start to go downhill. When we get squeezed, we say, you know what? It's not me who's in control, but God, will you take control? Maybe you start singing the Carrie Underwood song, Jesus, take the wheel, right? No, maybe you don't do that. I don't know. And maybe you never want to hear me do that again because you can never unhear that, can you? <laughs> but it's uncontrolled passion about uncontrolled, uncontrolled circumstances. And can we admit today that most of life we have no say in? It happens, doesn't it? Life happens to us. And we need to take this emotion of anger and put it away from us instead of making it the go-to emotion. And we'll talk about what that is. Now, today we uh, pick up the scriptures in the Old Testament in First Kings, rather, chapter 21, verses 1 through 17. If you uh, got your Bible, make sure to open it and follow along. I'm in the NKJV. This is not on the screen, but it's a story. And some of you may do better trying to listen to the story. Some of you do better at reading it. But it's very important. And we pick it up here um, later on after Israel has divided. Now, I know this isn't necessarily about anger, but on my heart, on my heart as a pastor when I came to Billings was to really try to infuse an understanding of God's word in the people who are hearing the messages. And so I want to give you just a little bit of context to the scripture just for Bible's sake. Is it okay to learn the Bible just to learn the Bible? I think it's probably the best thing, isn't it? Well, here's what happened. In 931 B.C., this is not A.D., but B.C., um, Israel divided as a nation. You know, there were three kings in Israel when it was a united nation. North and south were together. And the kings were Saul. You probably know the next one if you know it. Say it with me. David. And then the next one was his son, Solomon. Right? But right at the end of Solomon's reign, around 930, 931 B.C., Israel uh, had some infighting, and it split into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom had the capital of Samaria. The southern kingdom had the capital of Jerusalem. In general, the northern kingdom warred against God with some evil kings. The southern kingdom was up and down. Some of the kings um, were very tight with God. Some of them were inconsistent. And they had a few that, that didn't do so hot. But here's where we land today with a northern king, a northern kingdom of Israel king. His name was Ahab. Here's what you need to know about Ahab. Ahab ruled right around 870 to 850 B.C. And here's what the scriptures tell us in 1 Kings 16, that there was not a more evil king that had ever come before Ahab. Like before Ahab, there was never a more evil king than King Ahab in his life. How would you like it to have the term that you were the most evil person to date? This is Ahab. This is the king we're dealing with. And so as we pick it up, he, he also made another great choice. He married a lady named Jezebel, which we'll talk about later, and I have some embarrassing things to share. But um, as we approach the scripture today, I want you to know that we're dealing with this northern king who was responsible for tearing down the worship of the people of God. This guy built false idols to Baal and had people come and worship Baal instead of worshiping the one true God. And, and here we see a, a, 
one of the most classic pictures of anger in the Old Testament and the damage that it causes. So here we go. We pick it up, 1 Kings 21 and verse 1. This is what the word of God says. And it came to pass... which was in Jezreel, next to the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. So Ahab spoke to Neboah, saying, Give me your vineyard, that I may have it for a vegetable garden, because it is near next to my house, and for, for it I will give you a vineyard better than the one you have. He wanted to take this guy's vineyard, right? He was king. He saw it. He said, I'm king. I want it. Give it to me. I'll even, I'll even bribe you and give you a little bit extra for it. It says, or if it seems good to you, I will give you its worth and money. Now, here's the reason why King Ahab was in Jezreel to begin with, is that he needed a second palace. One palace wasn't good enough for him. So he built another palace trying to get uh, his dominion over the northern kingdom. He built it just a little bit south of the capital of Samaria. And and here he comes across a guy named Neboeth. Now here's What happens when anger creeps in? Listen to verse 3. It says, But Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid that I should give the inheritance of my fathers to you. Now, you may want to take a note. I'm going to get bible on you here. We said we'd learn a little bit of Bible today. Write down in your notes Leviticus chapter 25. Leviticus chapter 25. We're not going to read it, but you may want to read it in your study today. Leviticus 25 was one of the most interesting social systems ever presented in the history of mankind. It was a concept in the Old Testament called the year of Jubilee. And here's what would happen in the Old Testament. You had sections of seven years where six years people would work, people would owe debt, people would would be enslaved to an owner. But the seventh year, everyone was allowed to go free. Debts were canceled. They didn't have to farm the land. If you were a slave to someone, you were allowed to go. So this would happen for a cycle of seven times, which you math geniuses in the room, seven times seven is 49. So right after the 49th year, when they had this year off, There was a 50th year called the year of Jubilee. And all the same things would happen. They didn't have to farm the land. All debts. Can you imagine if all debt you owed and all debt owed you was canceled? Wow, that's a pretty crazy concept, isn't it? Went away and servants went free. But in this 50th year, a concept happened that just was mind-boggling. All the land that was purchased from people who had the money that took money uh, took uh, land away from families, family land, on the 50th year of Jubilee, it would go back to the original family. It would go back to the original family. And there's no evidence, <laughs> even though God prescribed it in Leviticus 25, there's no evidence that Israel ever grabbed onto this. But can you imagine a society where that actually happens? Can you imagine the amount of anger that would, would just go and, and never come back if debts were canceled? If people enslaved to you could go free? Could you imagine the joy that would exist in a society like that? Well, Neboeth, the reason why he bows up here 
at, at Ahab was in Leviticus chapter 25 and verse 23, in the middle of that year of Jubilee passage, it says, don't sell. God said, I forbid you to sell your family's land. I forbid it. Why? Because why, why would God present a system where they, everything goes back to the original owners, debts are canceled? It's because when people do that, they recognize, this is important to, our, to what we're talking about in anger, everything belongs to the Lord. Did you hear me on that? Everything, every circumstance you have, every relationship you have, every dollar you have, it belongs to the Lord. And what is anger saying? No, it belongs to me and I'm allowed to get mad about it. I'm allowed to take out my passion, my unruled passion and my vengeance on whoever it is that does me wrong. But Ahab didn't know this. Naboth did. And so here's what happens to Naboth. In verse 4, so Ahab went into his house, sullen and displeased. That means he was vexed. He was, he was starting to become irrational. He was starting, starting to rage. He was sullen and displeased because the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him, for he said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he laid down on his bed and turned away his face and would eat no food. Ha. Huh. How many of you are in Ahab? Where maybe you don't let it out, but when you get angry, boy, you shut down. You don't have to raise your hand because we don't want to know. I certainly don't. To be honest, that's kind of more how my anger works. But here's a second type of anger we see. <laughs> and I love this in verse 5. It says, but Jezebel, his wife. Now, I've told this story before, and every time I run across Jezebel in the Bible, I have to tell it again. So if you've heard it before and you've been at Elevation a few years, I apologize ahead of time. But um, whenever I see Jezebel, I always am embarrassed of the story. When I was a young boy, uh, my mom dressed me up as Jezebel for Halloween. And uh, it's a true story. And she did it because the pastor was one of those that was like against, like, you can't be a cowboy on Halloween. That's of the devil. And, and you have to be a Bible character. So they're having this party at church. And because they wouldn't let me be a cowboy, my mom said, okay, he, he needs to be a Bible character. She made me Jezebel. All right. So um, <clears throat> anyway, <clears throat> but Jezebel, his wife, that, you can never unhear that either, I guess, huh? But Jezebel... His wife came to him and said to him, here's a different type of anger going on. Check in here. Why is your spirit so sullen that you eat no food? Why are you being angry that way is what she's really asking. He said to her, because I spoke to Neboeth, the Jezreelite, and said to him, give me your vineyard for money or else if it pleases you, I will give you another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. Then Jezebel, his wife, said to him, you now exercise authority over Israel. I don't know if that was a question. I don't know what it was, but she was sarcastically jabbing at him, saying, you call yourself a king? You can't even take this guy's vineyard? Arise, eat food, and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Neboeth the Jezreelite. And she wrote letters. She wrote letters. Now, some of you thought that, that uh, written uh, gossip and written bad stuff, you know, appeared when Facebook appeared. But here's evidence that around 8 to 900 B.C., it was still happening right there. And she wrote letters in Ahab's name, sealed them with his seal, his king's seal, and sent the letters to the elders and the nobles who were dwelling in the city of Neboeth. 
she wrote in, in the letter saying, huh, look what she's about to do. She's about to use the religious to cover her anger. How many of us use the religious to cover our anger? You know, we, how many of us can put on a smile on Sunday, right? To use the religious to cover our anger instead of letting God deal with it and getting the victory over anger. This is what she says, proclaim a fast and seat Naboeth with the high honor among the people and seat two men, scoundrels, before him to bear witness against him, saying, you have blasphemed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him that Naboeth may die. So the men of his city, the elders and the nobles, who were inhabitants of his city, did as Jezebel had sent them to do. And it was written in the letters which she had sent to them. They proclaimed a fast, seated in the both with high honor among the people. And they put two men, scoundrels. Some of you may think they're Michael Caine and Steve Martin, if you've seen the movie. Came in and sat before him. And the scoundrels witnessed against him, against Neboeth, in the presence of the people, saying, Neboeth has blasphemed God and the king. Look at what anger is doing. Look what it's doing. Then they took him outside the city and stoned him with stones so that he died. Then they sent to Jezebel saying, Neboeth has been stoned and is dead. And it came to pass when Jezebel heard that Neboeth had been stoned and was dead, that Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Neboeth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money. For Neboeth is not alive, but he is what? Say it with me. Dead. So it was when Ahab heard that Neboeth was dead. Ah, see, he looked like he was passive at first, right? But we find out he was a passive aggressive. That Ahab got up and he went down to take possession of the vineyard of Neboeth the Jezreelite. Can I tell you what this passage tells us about anger? You can write it down. Anger kills. Anger kills. It's no wonder that Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5 and verse 22, Jesus said, if a person is angry in their heart, it's like they have committed murder. Why? Because anger leads you down a path where something or someone or a group of people will be destroyed and they will die just like Neboeth. Whether you're passive aggressive like Ahab or whether you're full throttle anger like, like Jezebel, anger kills. You may want to write this down. This is what it kills. Number one, anger kills relationships. It kills relationships. It kills your relationship with God. It kills your relationship with family. It kills your relationship with friends. And it even kills your relationship with foes. And you may say, Dave, why are you talking about foes here for a second? Aren't, aren't I supposed to be glad when something bad happens to my foe? No, not for people who are wrapped around the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ says, I lay my anger down even at my enemies that they might come to know Jesus Christ and be changed just like I was, might be forgiven just like I was. Anger kills relationships. You want to know where else anger kills? It kills the church. In this instance, we see who paid the price. It was the person who feared God that paid the price because of anger. It was the people of God and the law of God 
and the desires of God and the will of God that were put down by the anger of Ahab and Jezebel. Can I tell you that one of the greatest things that we have to stay away from as a church, you heard me last week talk about unity and how to move forward and how we reach more people, is we have to be a church that stays away from anger. Can I tell you that our church is not perfect? Can I get an amen? Amen. (laughs) Can I tell you that I am not perfect? Can I get a bigger amen? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. See, when I need an amen, I know how to self-depreciate. You know what I'm saying? But listen, you're not going to find a perfect church. I'm not going to find a perfect church. But can I tell you, not only does anger hurt our own lives, but it hurts the advancement of the kingdom of God. Do you know that one angry person can thwart the, the direction of, and the advancement of the kingdom of God? Because what does anger do? It brings disunity. So we see that it hurts our relationships, it hurts the church. But here is a big area that I want to talk to you about. And make sure to write this down. Because for us, to have victory over anger is really important. Because anger kills our character. Anger kills our character. When we're angry, we're choosing an emotion that is circumventing a deeper work that God wants to do in your life. How many of you want God's deepest, God's deepest work in your life? To where he comes and has full authority and full reign to come into your life and change the parts that you know you can't get for money. You know you can't go to church enough for. You know there's not enough Bible study. There's only God can change that broken area of your life. Can I tell you that anger is like putting up a dam and stopping the flow of God's Holy Spirit through your life and through your heart. Some of you have been hoping that you would find joy in this life. Can I tell you, anger has probably been cutting it off. Some of you need peace in a difficult circumstance. Can I tell you, your anger towards someone is probably cutting it off. You know, and this is difficult for me to say. Um, I am not by nature an angry person. When you see me laugh and goof up here, it's pretty genuine. You could ask my wife. Sometimes she's like, just tone it down, okay? Just tone it down. But can I tell you, uh, it's kind of weird how sometimes God holds some people to higher standards. I, don't, I really don't get angry very often. It's not that I never get angry, but I don't, I don't let it control me and go real long very often. But it's kind of funny. Uh, the two times in my life, that I got the most angry were in 2007 and even just last year uh, as we were moving into the building. There were circumstances pressing on me in both situations. And like I said, it's kind of funny. I don't do it that often. But in these two circumstances, I chose anger. And I chose anger for a long time. I chose anger for weeks and months instead of for what the Bible says, which we'll talk about later, a day. And it's funny, the two times that I've chosen anger... Like I said, it's kind of weird to talk about, and it doesn't mean it's going to happen to you, just so you know. I'm telling you my personal experience with anger. The first time in 2007, I fell into a five-year serious depression. And I had never known anger, and I had never known depression a day in my life. But by choosing anger, you know what happened? God said, okay, you get to be angry. But you can also deal with depression. And you know what? As I look back, I was like, wow, God, if I just would have let the anger go, if I would have let, let, let it just go and, and nail it to the cross, I wouldn't have dealt with depression. Instead, I would have had a deeper understanding of joy and hardship. But I, I kind of held that off. God, God did the work, but I, 
he was like, okay, Bubba, if you want it to take five, ten years, that's your choice. I can take as long as you want to take. The second time, oddly enough, I don't know that it caused it directly, but some of you know this and some of you don't. Um, I went blind in a right eye over anger. And And the anger wasn't the cause, but it's funny that in a season of anger, And letting God, instead of letting God do the deeper work, he let me have it my way with anger. He did. God is going to let you have it your way too when you choose anger. Okay, you want it? Well, guess what? There's something about you that's going to die in the process when you choose anger. Like Ahab and Jezebel chose anger. So I ask you a question. I just shared with you areas in my life where anger has killed me for a while. Thankfully, we serve a resurrected Savior, right? Where you don't stay dead. Where you come back and you have life in Christ. But here's the question. What area in your life is anger killing? What area is anger killing you? It might be a quiet type of anger like Ahab. It might be aggressive like Jezebel. Whatever that is, we're going to work on giving it up. Can I tell you that the biggest area that anger is probably killing in your life is your spiritual life? It's killing that relationship with God and distancing you and him, and you're wondering why you can't produce the fruit of the spirit of God. Listen to James chapter 1. It's in your notes and on the screen. James chapter 1, verse 19 through 22. It tells us about anger, and this is what it says. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get, what's that word? Angry. This verse, you may want to underline it. This is an important verse about about anger. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. Human anger, I'll read it again, does not produce the righteousness God desires. Now, some of you go, wait a second, Dave. Wasn't God angry in the Old Testament? Yes. Didn't Jesus walk into the temple one day and chunk the temple tables? He tossed them around and he was angry? Well, why can't I be angry like that? Well, I'll give you two reasons. Number one, you're not God. <laughs> That's the Sunday school answer. Number two. God's anger always centers around two things. He's angry at sin, and he's angry at injustice. And he is perfectly angry at them all the time. You and I do not possess that. And so the New Testament tells us, put away anger because it does not produce the righteousness of God in your life. Moving on in verse 21, it says, so get rid of all filth and evil in your lives, and humbly accept the word of God that has been planted in your hearts. Do you know that when we choose anger, we are rejecting the word of God and saying, God, I will not let your word embed in my heart because I want to control the uncontrolled passion over the uncontrollable circumstance. It says this, the word of God has the power to save your souls, but don't just, I love this, I love this, check into it, Don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. You're only fooling yourself. 
So we know that anger kills, so what do you got to do? Write this down. It's a full sentence. Kill anger before it kills you. Kill anger before it kills you. Anger is going to kill something, so you got to take it out first. I remember the first time I ever played paintball in my life. I was a student pastor, and I made the mistake. I got to pick the teams, and I made the mistake of putting a professional paintball high schooler on the opposite team as me. And uh, if you know anything about working with youth, when you're the adult working with youth, you have a big X on your chest and your back and your head and your ankles, and they're just trying to kill you any way they can. They're trying to make your life miserable. Well, this guy decided to stalk me, and there was a, a point in time where I had a long shot at him. I had a real long shot. I was up on a hill. It was a humongous paintball field up in the mountains of North Carolina. And I thought, you know, I'm going to sneak up. This, is, this would be kind of cheap for me to hit him this far because I had just that one time. And I thought, I'll get him. And I missed my opportunity. Next thing you know, about 30 seconds later, I lost track of him. And all of a sudden, I felt on my back. And I went, oh, no. <laughs> and he goes, yield. And me being the, uh, you know, perfect youth pastor that I was, I decided to cheat and say, no, you didn't hit me. And he said, I, I felt it again. And I went, oh, I wasn't wearing any armor. He was because he's a professional guy, right? And I turn around and I try to take five shots at him just because I wanted to hit him at this point. I didn't care about winning the game. just wanted to hit him. And next thing I knew, I proceeded to get 30 to 40 whelps on my stomach as he unloaded an automatic paintball gun from 20 feet away. <laughs> and I hit the ground, raised my gun there, and I go, I yield, I yield. And he's sitting there, even as I say it, going, I don't believe you. <laughs> and there I am on the ground. And he got me. And I had the scars to show for it. Some of you are letting the emotion, in fact, I would say most of you, most and definitely me, we, are, we let the emotion of anger run way too long. And we don't kill it before it kills us. And we bear the scars of letting anger hang around too long. Listen to Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. It says this, and don't sin by letting anger, what's that word? Control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to who? The devil. So here are three areas that you have to manage to kill anger before it kills you. Number one, the detection of your anger. Some of us have to learn to detect when we're getting angry because uh, those of us who say, I'm not really an angry person, all that means is it takes longer for you to realize you're angry. And when you explode, it's like old faithful, right? It's like old faithful popping out of the ground because it's like, oh, I'm not angry, I'm not angry, I'm angry. All of a sudden at once. But the detection of our anger is so important. James told us that we have to be slow to what? Listen and slow to speak. If you want to, to ask yourself, am I starting to get angry? Just that simple litmus test will do. Check the speed of your words. How fast do you have to show your quick wit? How fast do you have to show your opinion? How fast do you have to raise your voice? If it's coming in fast, you can detect anger and say, I know, wait, that is anger. Anger is sin. I got to kill it now. And also the speed and the depth of your listening. You see, angry people don't listen, do they? 
Angry people aren't concerned with what's coming in. They're only concerned at giving something to someone else. If you find yourself not listening, you know anger has started. Here's another area for you to manage. The duration of your anger. Some of you go from zero to hacked off in 1.2 seconds. You know what I'm saying? You just, it's your go-to emotion. Something bad happens and you get angry. Why? Because I can. Why? Because I'm powerful enough. Why? Because I have a strong enough personality. Why? Because I'm going to make them pay. Why am I going to go to it? Because I can and I will and I want control of this situation. But what did the Bible say in Ephesians 4, verse 26 and 27? Not to let the sun go down on your anger. What is scripture telling us? If, if anger is starting to well up, what should the duration be? When can, how can you stop it from turning into a sinful thing that has a stranglehold on your life, has a stranglehold on your marriage, maybe even is turning into abuse, physical abuse. And by the way, if you're physically or, or verbally abusing your family in this room or your friends or your kids, stop. Stop. Go tell somebody. Pay the price. Get help. Anger is not worth it. The Bible says you have how many days? You have one day. When the sun goes down, you have to put that away. You have to have dealt with your anger. It cannot be there anymore. And it's not like, well, I'll put it on the shelf and save it for tomorrow and let the sun come up and go down again. No, it's done. And it's done for good. See, you have to manage the duration of your angry, of your angerness, of your anger. How about if I say it that way? Of your anger. One day, that's what scripture says you have. Don't let the sun set on it. Here's the last place, and this is really important. This is where we come to a time of response, a time where I want you to do business with God. It's the direction of your anger. The direction. Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection was over one thing. You know what was nailed to the cross that day? It was more than Jesus. It was our sin. It was our sin. And can I tell you, whenever you get angry, whenever you have a, something going on with your spouse, whenever you have something going on with your kids and it causes it to rise to the top and you want to turn into Jezebel or Ahab and get angry and kill, can I tell you this? You have two directions that you can send your anger. Here's the first one. You can send it straight to fiery hell in the hands of the devil. What did Ephesians tell us? That when we're angry, we give a foothold to who? Say it with me. The devil. Do you know that anger puts your life straight in the hands of Satan himself to deceive, to lie, to destroy, and to kill? If you wonder why the things in your life are crumbling around you, Check out anger first because it's a quick way to make yourself a tool in the hands of Satan. But yet there's another direction that you get to put your anger. And this is the place you want to send it. Every time you send your anger to the cross where Christ was nailed, nail in his hand, nail in his hand, nail in his, through his feet. Where sin hung and sin died that day, and you choose to say, I will have victory over anger. God can work 
in my trials. He can work in my uncontrollable circumstances. He can work in this imperfect life. And he can give victory the same way that he did the day that he rose again. He can give it if we'll just take our sin and say, God, I want to hold this sin and I want to kill someone because I'm angry. I want to make sure that even if they don't physically die, that they die in their heart, that they die emotionally, that they die financially. I want to make sure they die. But what we say is, I am not going to nail this on another person, but I'm going to nail my anger to the cross of Jesus Christ where I no longer have to deal with it. It's no longer mine. But just like the year of Jubilee says, this situation belongs to who? God. It belongs to God. And now the fruit of the Spirit floods your life. You have joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. When you nail sin to the cross. Here's what I'd like everyone to do. If you could take out your next steps card right now. Just find that thing and take it out. Today, you may have walked in without a relationship with God. And do you know that at its core, if you do not have a personal relationship by placing your faith and knowing the grace of Jesus Christ, the Bible says that you are doing that because you are at odds with God. You are angry against God. And today, you may have walked in without that relationship with Jesus Christ. And today you could say, I'm laying down my anger towards God. And I'm going to receive him as my Lord and Savior today. That might be a decision you want to make in just a second. But there are some of you today who have a place where anger is killing your life. And you need to kill it today before it kills you any further. Before it goes any farther. Today, you might be mad at God for something that has been longstanding in your life. Today, maybe you need to come to God and say, God, I'm nailing my anger toward you to the cross, the cross you provided so that I could be right with you. Maybe you're angry at an ex-spouse and it's ruining your life today. Today, you could nail that anger to the cross. Maybe you're angry at a business partner You can nail that to the cross and let the sun go down and your anger with it for good. During this response time, if you're someone who needs to ask God to work in your anger toward a person or toward a situation, that's what this time is for, to do business with God. You can write it down on your next steps card. You can give a prayer request, help me, help me with anger. Would everybody bow your heads and close your eyes as we come to a time of response? Today, if you walked in without the relationship with God, and maybe you've never heard it in those terms, that it means you're angry with God, you're warring against him with your sin. And today you want to become a friend of God, victorious through all eternity, because you become his child. If you've never made that decision, And today you want to. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? Is there anyone like that? Say, today I want to receive Jesus Christ for the first time. Is there anyone like that? Across the room. Okay. 
for the rest of us. Is there anyone here who would say, Dave, today I need some prayer because, well, I'm an angry person or I've let anger rule my life in an area and it is killing me, Dave. It's killing everything about me. If you need prayer for that, we won't embarrass you. We won't ask you to do anything. Just raise your hand so I can pray for you. Yeah, across the room. Yeah. Is there anyone else? Say, I need, I need help with anger. Yeah. Let me pray for you all right now. You can put your hands down. God, I thank you for this day. God, I thank you that you're a God who puts in the Bible a year of jubilee where everyone goes free and everything right is restored to its original state. God, I know that anger is the hard, one of the hardest things to let go of. God, because it grabs a hold of us and it squeezes and we can't get it out of our lives. And God, I pray for those who rose their hand today and said, I, I need help. I need God to do his work. Something's getting blocked. God's deeper work is getting blocked because of what I'm choosing in anger. God, I pray that today would be the day where the sun sets on the anger of the people who are desperately calling out saying, God, help me. Lord, for the rest of us this week as we go, would you allow us to choose the control of the Holy Spirit over our lives instead of any emotion or any response that's earthly that would keep us from you. God, I know that we can be victorious because you're a risen Savior who rose again so that death and sin and even the emotion of anger can be defeated. God, we love you. And Lord, we leave this service today asking you for a peace and a joy that passes all understanding. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Elevation Church. Please take a few moments to respond to today's message. Thanks again for listening and have a great day.